Glad that you're here again. We're going to continue our Bible study, How-Tos on the Highway to Heaven. Uh, it is a really a discussion or a Bible study leading us in the days between the day that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the day that we're saved, and the day that we spend eternity with Christ uh, in heaven. And, and over and over and over again, it seems in this Bible study, but really all the things that we're doing as a church, uh, we are seeing how we live matters. And that seems to be a theme that just keeps uh, popping up. Maybe that's me, but it, how we live actually matters. Now, part of that process, and we look at the weird day that we're living in, part of that process is seeing that what we're doing isn't working. And I think about that. What we consider normal uh, isn't really paying off. We think, you know what, normal, if we could get back to normal, and if we could just do the normal things again, uh, normal really is not paying off. And so uh, if you're content with normal, if you're okay with normal, uh, this Bible study maybe doesn't match up with you. But seeing that normal isn't working, having had enough of normal, uh, we're seeing that how we live led by God's Word actually does matter. Now, the basis, the foundation of our Bible study and I want to keep setting this out every, every time we meet, is the truth that God's Word is the truth. God's Word is truth. Our Bible, God's Word is truth. And it reveals to us God is the Creator. And we talked about this the first week. That's why there's such a large attack, a big attack on God as the Creator. God is the Creator of all things. God's Word is the truth, and it reveals that to us. Because he is the creator, he holds the wisdom behind all of creation. Now think about that. Because he designs all things, because he empowers all things, because all things originate with him as the creator, he has the wisdom behind all things. He understands what our purpose is, what all things, uh, what the purpose is, the intent behind it. And so as the creator, he has the wisdom of all creation. And so we actually find the best way to live is from him, the one with the wisdom behind creation, the one that is the creator and is revealed to us in his word. Now let me just let me just say this and we're going to say it a whole lot. God's word actually tells us the best way to live. It is not a punishment. It's not some heavy duty we can't keep. God's word actually tells us reveals to us the best way to live. Well, tonight in our Bible study, uh, our subject is guilt. Uh, that is a very interesting subject. It is a very important subject. And maybe for some of us here tonight, it is a very timely subject. Let me ask the question, how many of us that don't raise your hand uh, have things from our past, have regrets from our past, that influences us today, that impacts us today. How many of us sitting here have things in our past, have regrets from our past that still influence us today? Well, the question is, what do we do about that? Now, let me tell you what the world's answer is. The world's answer is, if we can get far enough away from those events or that event, whether in time or in distance, that that thing's going to get better. And, and we, we seem to say, well, time heals all things. And you know what? So here's this event or these events that influence me that I regret terribly. 
And if I can go somewhere else, if I can go where nobody knows about those things, if I can put a distance, uh, it'll get better. Or if I can get enough time in there. You know what? Three or four years go by. Seven or eight years go by. If I can put enough gap in this in time, that those things are going to get better as well. Well, you know what? That doesn't work out. If you figured out you can't put enough time, you can't put enough distance, uh, it does not work out. And so that comes back to the question, so tonight, as believers, what do we do about guilt? You're not going to be able to get enough distance. You're not going to be able to get enough time that it somehow gets better. As believers, what do we do about those things that we regret? What do we do about those things we can't take back? What do we do about those things that cloud and influence how we live now in our influence, in our, in our future? Let me start by saying this, and I thought this was a pretty uh, interesting thing for us to realize tonight, and that is this. God has a plan for guilt. God has a purpose for guilt, and God speaks on guilt. Now, sometimes we'd say, well, he just worries about our salvation. He just worries about us getting into heaven. He doesn't worry about the things of our daily life. Well, listen, God has a plan for guilt. He has a purpose for guilt, and God speaks on guilt. But I also want to say this. So does Satan. So does Satan. He has a plan for guilt. He has a purpose for guilt. He also speaks on guilt. Revelation chapter 12, it says Satan is called, it gives us one of his titles, the accuser of the brethren. The brethren is referring to believers, Christians. And so one of the titles of Satan, the devil, is he is the accuser of the brethren, which, which what that means is he makes accusations against us. He lobbies accusations against us. And he uses guilt to defeat us as believers. He uses guilt to discourage us. He uses guilt to derail us as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, what he does is he takes our past, the sins of the past, and he puts them right back in front of us. He holds them up right in front of us. And so understand, it's an important thing for us to determine, God has a plan for guilt. God has a purpose for guilt. God speaks on guilt, but so does Satan. So we go all the way back to the original question, which is this. So what do we do? What do we do? All right. I'm going to read our focal verse, and we're going to look at it for a second, and then we're going to move some, through some things, and we're going, to, we're going to look at what this verse is, these verses are telling us. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. You can listen as I read it. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14 says this, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, verse 14, listen, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience 
from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 14 is a tremendous verse. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? All right, let's, let's move through some, some big things tonight. First thing to understand is this. We're going to talk about guilt. What do we do with guilt as followers of Jesus Christ? First thing is this. We need to understand how we're saved. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. In the analogy, the analogy of the book that we're reading is we're on a road. We're taking a trip. Perhaps we're in a car. Well, we are on the road because we've trusted Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when we are saved, here's what the Bible tells us. We are renewed. You're renewed when you're saved. You are restored when you're saved. You're redeemed when you're saved. You're received. You're in fellowship with God when you're saved. When you're saved, you have the forgiveness of your sin. When you're saved, you have eternal life. Now, follow with me. And we are saved because of the grace of God. We are saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. We are saved because of his righteousness, which he gives to us, which he covers us with. Listen very carefully. Not because we deserve it. Listen very carefully. Not because of the absence of sin. You were not saved. You are not saved because of the absence of sin. You're not saved because you did something to earn your salvation. You are, I, we were not saved because we stopped sinning. We were saved by the grace of God in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary as he imparts us his righteousness as sinners. Now that is our confession as followers of Jesus Christ. Understand what I'm saying by all of that. That's a long, a long statement. When we're saved, here's what we're doing. We're saying, you know what? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is how I'm forgiven of my sin. Jesus is how I'm right with God. I understand I am not the answer. And it's not because I'm not a sinner that I'm saved. It's not because I have not sinned that I'm saved. It's not because I have stopped sinning that I'm saved. It's not because I've sinned less than some of y'all have, but it is because as a sinner, I've turned to Jesus Christ. That is the confession of a follower of Jesus Christ. We are saved as sinners, not because we have the absence of sin, but because we need a remedy for sin. You know what the Bible says for us as believers? Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, and therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear that. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, not because of what your past is, not because of what you've done, not because of the absence of sin in your life, nobody has that. But if you are in Christ Jesus, it says, therefore, there is no condemnation for you. First thing we need to do is remember how we got saved. How we got on the road is because we trusted Jesus Christ, not because there was the absence of sin in our life. Now, the second thing, and this is a, a big deal, and, and, and really there's a lot of mis, 
uh, information here or false, I'll just say it, false teaching here, uh, we need to understand guilt does serve a purpose. Well, I don't like guilt. Well, guilt bogs me down. Well, guilt has negative things in my life. Guilt does serve a purpose. Let me tell you this. Guilt is real. I think, I think some today in, in the modern counseling world would say, you know what, uh, we, have to, we have to break this down and we have to walk it out and dissolve it out. And, and really, fear is a lot like guilt. It's not something that ought to have influence in your life. Well, be sure and understand this. Guilt is real. Sin produces guilt. Sin produces guilt. Now, let me just say this. And if it does not, there's a big problem. If we can, if I can, if we can sin and not feel guilty about it, there's a problem in our life. Now, let me, just, let, me, let me just point this out. One of the problems of the day that we're living in, we're living in an age, we're living in a world where the world is, but now even the church is trying to make us comfortable in sin, trying to make us easy with sin. And so you know what the Bible says, this is a sin and it's not the best way to live and it's gonna bring negative repercussions in your life and the world says, it's fine. The church says, we'd rather have your attendance. It's fine, calm down. Or maybe that's not a sin anymore. Maybe things have changed. There is a big problem when sin does not produce guilt. Here's the truth. Sin produces guilt and listen, guilt serves a purpose. Now, what purpose could guilt serve? I just scratched out some things. What purpose, what good thing could ever come out of guilt? Well, here's, here's a couple things. The first thing is this. Guilt makes us want something else. And I don't know if you've ever laid in your bed at night and you've been so regretful over something you wish had never happened, you wish you'd never done that thing, you know what, that makes you say, well, I'm, I'm sick of this. I'm tired of that. Guilt makes us want something else. Jeremiah chapter two, we are trained in our guilt, our sin sometimes. Guilt makes us dissatisfied with where we're at. I don't, I don't know, I'm not tough enough to go through life with just a whole bunch of guilt piled up. Maybe you're tougher than I am. I'm not, I'm not tough enough. And so when I'm, when I'm dealing with guilt, it makes me dissatisfied for where I'm at. Here's something else. Guilt keeps us humble. Some folks walk around like they're bulletproof, like they're better than everybody else. And you know what? When they sin and they have guilt in their life, they say, well, I'm a lot like you. And you're a lot like me. And we deal with sin. We need a Savior for sin. Guilt actually helps keep us humble. And here's the greatest thing. All of those are good. Here's the greatest one. Guilt causes us to look to Jesus Christ as the remedy for sin, the remedy for guilt. Guilt causes us to be thankful for God. Guilt causes us to praise God. I, I'll just say, sometimes I wonder, well, why, why, what, what is so hard about people understanding the truth of God's word is the best way to live? What is so hard about folks saying, I'm all in, I wanna commit to my walk with Jesus Christ. And I think it's an easy view of sin. It doesn't bother us. It doesn't bother us. But when you understand, you know what? You are gonna pay the penalty for your sin and Christ goes to the cross of Calvary and he takes your sorry sin and my sorry sin and he's beaten beyond recognition and nailed to a cross, paying the penalty for sin. It's when I understand that I start to go, man, what a savior. 
What a gracious, kind Savior. The greatest thing about guilt is it forces us to look to Christ and to praise God and to thank God for the grace he has shown us as sinners. Guilt can be a good thing. It is a good thing and a necessary thing for a follower of Jesus Christ. However, now let me just, let me just walk you through this. Part of being on the trip, now we've, our analogy is that we're making a trip. Part of being on the trip is knowing where we've been. Now, it would be ridiculously weird to take a trip and not know where you've been. That, that, would, be, that would be absurd. That would be ridiculously weird. Now, what I mean by that is this. If I were to say, you know what? Here's spring break's coming up, and we're going to drive out to Florida, and we're going to go to Disneyland or Disney World, whatever's out there. We got it all planned, and we're, we've got the stuff. We got our, 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 our food ready. We're ready to go. And if we're driving, and you say, where are we at? I don't know. Where we been? I don't remember. Where's home? I don't know. Where are we going? Disneyland. Part of knowing where you're going, part of knowing what the trip is about is remembering where you've been. I'm from Vernon, Texas. It's not very fun there, but I'm going to Disneyland where it is fun. Uh, the weather's not that good. It's blowing in March, but I'm going to Disneyland where it's not going to be blowing. Part of knowing where you're going, part of making the trip is not forgetting where you've been. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, the problem becomes when we get so focused on where we've been that we forget where we're going. That's the difference. And that's really the point, one of the big points of our lesson tonight. There are times you can get so consumed with looking behind you that you forget where you're going. And you know what? That's no way to travel as well. I want us to see the difference. The problem is not guilt. Guilt is a good thing. It helps us be thankful for Christ. It helps us to remember where we've been. It help us, helps us to look to Christ. But the problem is when guilt starts to be the focus of what we're looking at instead of where we're going. I want us to see the difference. I'm going to need three of our youth. Easton, you want to help me? It pays in candy. Easton's too cool for school. You want to help me, Bubba? He doesn't want to either. Emily Osnick. Come on, Emily. You two right here. You all in? <laughs> Take your pick. Take your pick. All right, show those boys what you got. All right, here's what we're going to do. I want y'all to stand up here against this platform. I want y'all to go down these steps. Just go down the steps. Hold a minute before we do it. Here's how it's going to happen. Emily, I want you just to go down those steps. You're going to look forward. If you're going somewhere, you're going to look where you're going. You're going to know where you're going. You're going to look where you're going. You're going down those steps. I want you to look forward in just a second. Now, I want you to go down those steps, but you're worried about who's behind you. And so I want you to go down the steps, but you can't look forward. You have to look behind you the whole time. Now, don't fall and break your neck. If you do, just grab a hold of Emily and she'll drag you down. You're going, but you can't, you can't look forward. You got to look behind you. Now, here's the deal about you. You have a rear view mirror. You turn around backwards. You're going to go down the steps. You're going to go backwards. 
But you can use this mirror to see how you're going. You're going to look in the rearview mirror. Does that make sense? So you're turning around, you have a mirror. You're walking forward, but looking behind you, and you're walking straight. Let me count to three and say go. One, two. Easton doesn't even know how to count to three, all right? <laughs> One, two, three, go. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Good job. Thank you. That is a picture of the truth. Guilt is a necessary thing. In fact, I don't think you can be saved until you've had to deal with the guilt of sin and look for the remedy for sin in Christ. But you know what? If your trip is always looking behind you, if it's always worried about what's behind you, you can't be like Emily and just go down the steps. You know what? The, the rearview mirror was a good thing, but notice the size. Emily could just see. But that rearview mirror, you know what? It was just this big. You know what? That's a pretty good analogy. There's a purpose in looking behind you. There's a purpose in not forgetting what's behind you, but it's not supposed to overtake your vision. It's not supposed to block out what you see in front of you. And so you know what? It's good to remember your past. It's good to know where you've come from, but it's supposed to be a small thing and not cloud out what the, the view is as you move forward. Now, here's what the problem is. Here's the problem. Satan comes, and what's the Bible say? Revelation 12, he is the accuser of the brethren, Christian. Hold on a minute, what's he doing messing with Christians? He comes along and he says this, you're too bad. You're too bad. He says this, your sin is too big. Your sin is too, what are you doing your sin is too big. Now, here's worse. Here's what's worse than that. He comes along and he starts to say, if people know what you've done, oh, man, they're, gonna, they, there's, they're not going to go for that. If they know what you've done, if they know what you think, if they know what your heart is like, if they know what your past is, worse than that, we sometimes start thinking, you know what, if God knows, Maybe I've got this hidden and he doesn't even know. But if I, man, I can't let him know. Now here's the deal. Does that impact your salvation? No. You're saved when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is kept safe in the power of God. That is set. But what does that do for you? Here's what it does. It ruins the rest of the trip. If you're sitting there going, I can't get over that sin, and I remember that sin, and I wish I'd never done those things, and I can't sleep at night, and I'm having to drink or medicate myself that I don't remember those things, and I have to go chase these other things that I don't remember those things, it ruins the trip. Now, here's the second thing it does. It hinders your usefulness on the trip, which means this. You start to say, I've messed up too bad. I'm not worth two cents. So I can't walk in obedience. There's no point in it. I've already messed up. I can't tell folks about the hope I have in Christ. They're going to know what my past is. I can't serve Christ in the, in the church that I belong to. Everybody knows what I've done. It not only ruins your trip, it hinders your usefulness on the trip. Let me tell you this. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you are saved by the power of God in faith alone in Jesus Christ. But carrying around guilt, letting it block out your vision is going to mess up the rest of your trip and it's going to hinder your usefulness to the, to the cause of the trip. All right. That's the problem. That's the reality. 
And maybe some of you are sitting here going, I don't know what you're talking about, but maybe some of you are going, man, that's me. That's me. There's stuff I don't even talk about. There's stuff I, I, would, I would die if y'all knew what I was thinking, what my heart was, the, some of the things I've done. What is the answer? What is the answer? We see here the reason why this is important is because it ruins the trip and it hinders our usefulness on the trip. We also see when we're saved, and here, here's where I want you to get this, our record is cleansed. That's what that verse in Hebrews was talking about. When you were saved, you were given the righteousness of Christ, your record of sin is cleaned, is cleansed, and you have eternal life in the blood of Jesus Christ. But here's the crazy thing. This is crazy. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become the righteousness of Christ. In the blood of Jesus Christ, your record is cleansed. But here's what the Bible also says. You know what else is? Verse 14, your conscience is also cleansed. I don't know that we make that gap. I don't know that anybody teaches much about that. Let me read verse 14 again. How much more, if the animal sacrifices were that, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, the perfect lamb, cleanse your, what does it say? Conscience. Cleanse your record of wrongs. No, that happens. You're saved. You're forgiven. It says cleanse your conscience from dead works, the sinful deeds, to serve the living God. Conscience. Let me walk you through that verse. That's tremendous. Conscience comes from two Greek words, which means this, you're knowing seeing. Now, that's weird, I'll explain it to you. You're knowing seeing. That is how you perceive. Your conscience is your knowing seeing. It's how you perceive, and it really is your self-judging. Now, God build, builds us in his image, and we have a conscience, and we, we should know, you know what, that's wrong. I feel bad about that, but it's, it's your self Judging, it, it is your knowing, seeing how you're perceiving. And so when you sin and when, you, when you've committed sin, your conscience says you're a sinner. You're too bad. You're not worth two cents. You've failed, you've failed, you've failed. And your conscience brings that up. Here's what verse 14 says. You know what is cleansed when we put our faith in Christ? Not only our record of rights and wrongs before God, we become the righteousness of Christ. It actually says our conscience is cleared as well. Now that's kind of deep. This is kind of deep ahead coming, but it's also very awesome. How does that make sense? Now, I want you to go with me. It's, it's pretty, pretty tremendous. How does getting your record of wrongs cleared in the cross of Calvary clear your conscience? Because I still remember those things. I wish I'd never done those things. How does it clear your conscience? It's because this. He paid for sin on the cross of Calvary. He carried your sin, mine as well, away. As far as the east is from the west, he remembers it no more. He took your sin, my sin, my shame, your shame for sin, and he carried it to the cross of Calvary. And I want you to listen very carefully. And sin is dealt with fully on the cross of Calvary. You're given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's paid for on the cross. And so you know what a, a side transaction of that is? 
so your conscience is also cleared. The past loses its influence because it does not matter. You know what God's done? He's forgiven it. You know what God's done? He, he's put it away. And so your conscience is clear before God as well because your past is now reconciled fully in the cross of Calvary. So your past loses its influence. So let me just tell you this. This is pretty, pretty tremendous. So to keep bringing it up, to keep going back to it, to swirl around in it, to get bogged down in it, is really to say that you're really not trusting in what Christ has done. You're really not trusting that he's taking care of it. You're really not trusting that it's settled in the work of Calvary. And, and to, to bring it back up and to bring it back up and to stew around in it is to say, actually say, you know what? The cross must not have been enough. It's to say God's word's not true. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. He says he's forgiven us. It's, and to stew around in it is to say God's word's not true. To stew around in it is to say Jesus is insufficient, not enough. All right, here's a question. Do you know whose message that is? Goes all the way back to the accuser of the brethren. Do you know his goal has always been to say God's word's not true? Do you know his message has always been the cross was not enough? Did you know his message is always to say Jesus is insufficient? That is the message of Satan. Now the result of that is this. He can't stop you. You're saved when you put your faith in Christ. But he's going to ruin the trip. He's going to steal your usefulness and your purpose for, for, for the cause of Jesus Christ. Look at, look at verse 14 again. It says, you are cleansed from dead works, sin, here's the last of the verse, to serve the living God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. His goal in heaping your sin back in front of you is to mess up your availability to serve the living God. All right, so we see the reality. We see the reason why he does it. He wants to ruin your walk. He can't make you not save, but he can mess up your life. He can make your availability to be used, uh, messed up because you're heaped up in your sin. We see the reason why, and then I'm gonna finish up and I'm gonna show you the remedy. Here's the remedy. Follow with me, it's pretty awesome. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Listen very carefully. All right, we see why Satan does it. We see the truth that it's a real thing. Here is our remedy. Here's the answer. What do we do as Christians about guilt? Here's the answer. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Great section of verses, but we're gonna focus on verse 23. Here is our remedy. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let me, let me go through that verse. Let us hold fast. You go to the original language, you go to that, those words for hold fast. 
and it means to grasp. It means to hang on for dear life, and it actually carries the meaning like glue, like glue, put super glue. So, so you're not just hanging, you're not just trying, you are glued, you're grasping, you're, you're clinging to. All right, let us hold fast the confession of our hope to the confession of our hope. Now, as believers, here's the question. What have we confessed? You're a follower of Jesus Christ. What have you confessed? Here's what you've confessed. You've confessed Christ as Lord. You have confessed Jesus is the remedy for sinners. You have confessed that Jesus is the full and final payment for sin. You have confessed that we are forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. You have confessed that we are new in Christ. That is what we've confessed. So here's what the Bible says our remedy is. Hold fast to that. Glue yourself to that. Stick to that. We are forgiven. We are new in Christ. Christ is the remedy for sinners. He's the payment for sin. He is our Lord. Your remedy is to hold fast, to glue yourself to that. And then it says this, and I, I, I think it's in there. It has to be in there because of human nature. Without wavering, unwa unwaveringly, without wavering. Have y'all figured out people are wishy-washy? <laughs> have you figured out people say one thing and do another thing? Have you, have you seen people and, I, and, and they say, I will never do that, I will never do that, I will never, you mark it down, I'll never do it. And you drive by in a week and you go, what's he doing in his yard? He's doing that. I can give you examples just this week. People are wishy-washy. People say, I am resolved. I'm resolved. You know what I'm not doing? I'm not ever wearing a mask. You won't, ever, you won't find me wearing a mask. I'll pass me in Wichita with two of them on. <laughs> what changed? I don't know. Did they read something? Did they change? I don't know. You know what I'll never do? I'll never drive a Ford. Never drive a Ford. And you'll come by and they'll be driving a Ford. And you go, I guess they had a rebate on it. I don't know. We're wishy-washy. We say one thing, we do another thing. You know what we can't do as followers of Christ? We can't say, I'm saved in the grace of God and the power of God and the finished work of a cross. And we can't come back and say, oh, my sin's too great. Oh, my sin's too bad. Oh, I'm not, I can't go to that church and I can't serve. I don't have a place there because my sin's too great. We can't waver. It says, hold to that confession. He's the payment for sin, the remedy for sinners. It is set on him. Hold to that, glue to that, and quit wavering. And yet Satan comes back and says, well, you're not good enough. Man, oh, you blew it. You blew it last year. You're gonna blow it this year. Unwavering. And then it says this. For he who promised is faithful. Greatest part of that verse. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Because we're smart, no. Because we're strong, no. Because we're good folks, no. Because we go to the right church, no. Why do we hold fast to the confession? Because for he who promised is faithful. Do you remember the start of this lesson? It's only been 30, 40 minutes. We're saved not because we never sinned. We're saved not because we stopped sinning. We're saved not because our resume is impressive and you think a lot of us. We're saved because of the grace of God 
and the finished work of a Savior that went to the cross of Calvary and took my sin and your sin and took the entirety of it, didn't take just a piece of it, and died and paid for it and settled it. It is finished on the cross. We are saved because he is faithful. It is because of Christ. It's really, who are we to go back? Who are we to say, well, my sin's bigger than that? We're saved because of the faithfulness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I could have saved you a whole hour and just summed it up with this paragraph. The remedy for guilt is the same remedy we have for sin. And that is to look to Christ, to trust Christ, and to let it be finished in Christ. It's finished in Christ. I hate those things. I still remember them. I hate them. But you know what? It is finished in Christ. You know what? Let it be finished in Christ. There was a funeral. I don't know what. I guess it was yesterday. And one of the, one of the songs was one of our favorite songs. And these words have stood out for me for, for some time. And I think about the pieces of that song, but I want you to listen to the, to the words to this, this verse. My sin, oh, the bliss, oh, the happiness of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Listen to this. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is finished in Christ. Let it be finished in Christ. You want to know what to do with guilt? Give it to Christ. Give it to Christ. It is finished in him. Let it be finished in him. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Glad you're here. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm so thankful that no sin is too great. No distance is too far. Nothing can, can push us away. Nothing, nothing draws a line that, that your grace doesn't cross over and that we have the redemption for sinners. We have the payment settled and paid in the finished work of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, we love you for that more so tonight. We thank you tonight more so than we ever have. I'm thankful that we don't have to pick it back up and stew in it and walk in it, but it is finished in Christ. Lord, I pray for our youth here tonight. I pray for, for the guilt and the shame, the things we've already messed up. I pray that we turn to you for forgiveness, but I also pray in the preaching and the leading of your word that we could stay away from it. I pray for our adults here, some younger, some older. I, I pray as we hear this that we would again be thankful for a risen, resurrected Savior, the remedy for sinners, our Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for some here tonight that do not know you yet. And they're carrying the guilt, and it's bad. And they're carrying the guilt, and it's hard, and it's heavy. I pray, Lord, that they would find you, and they would turn to you, and they would trust you. And they would find the peace that only a risen Savior can give. And then, Lord, I pray for, as we end this lesson, as all of us here that are believers, I pray we'd be quick to tell a lost and hurting, suffering world the good news of a risen Savior, the remedy for sinners. Lord, we give you our guilt. We're thankful for the reminder of where we've been, where we've been, but we give it to you. We finish it and leave it with you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.